Thomas never had to worry about getting the mic turned on. So. Well, good morning, everyone. God's grace to you and peace in the name of God, our Father, and His Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is so good to be back up here. I, when I say up here, I'm from Phoenix, Arizona now, even though my wife Debbie and I lived in Coon Rapids for 10 years. And back in the 80s, uh, we lived just uh, across the street from the Methodist Church in the apartments there while we were up here. So we love being back up in this area, love seeing lots of people, love seeing Jesse over there and and his wife, his bride, and the, the kids. And, and uh, I'm feeling really blessed. And I not only get a chance to be with Pastor Angie and Jeff and the rest of the Rowdy crew here at Community of Grace the next couple of days. Speaking of Rowdy crew, by the way, was it just me? Or, or Dan, did you have kind of a Bob Dylan vibe going <laughs> on that song just now? You know? Yeah. Keep going. I've heard me preach before. Keep going. Keep going. I didn't, I didn't want that to end. I'm feeling really blessed today because one of my best friends in all the world is here today. He came all the way from Huntington Beach, California just to hear me preach. <laughs> That's Pastor Jeremy King who's sitting right down here with his beautiful bride, Michelle. Uh, Debbie and I, they're, they're one of the couples that are just so special to Debbie and I. Not uh, for many reasons, not the least of which they're the parents of two of our favorite people in the whole world, Gabriel and Neriah. Yeah, and Gabriel's very shy, so you, you may not. And, and then their, their grandpa, Michelle's folks, Ken and Sherry Pearson, who are here and who get to hang out with us in the winter down in Phoenix at Wonderful Mercy. So, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm feeling most blessed because Jeremy's going to buy me lunch afterwards. So <laughs> there we go. Praise God. Well, hey, we're going through a sermon series here at Community of Grace these days, When God Speaks. Uh, we're looking at uh, the books of the 12 minor prophets in the latter part of the Old Testament. You've already met Amos this morning, and my assignment is to unpack a few things from the book of Amos. Now, I, I, when I got this assignment from Pastor Angie weeks ago, uh, I was very excited because I got Amos. Pastor Jeremy's preaching next Sunday, and he got Obadiah. So I was really glad that I got Amos. And uh, I read through Amos uh, multiple times, used three different translations, studied, prayed, and um, uh, over time, God kind of began to, to show me three takeaways, at least for me, and I, I want to share just a little bit on those with all of us here today. First of all, uh, it is possible that this book in the 8th century B.C., this message of God to Israel that Amos proclaims, uh, proclaims uh, says that it's possible for God's people to forget to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Secondly, it's possible for God's people to settle for doing religion rather than embracing relationship. And the third takeaway I had from the book of Amos is that even then, even when we forget to do what's right, even when we embrace religion instead of relationship, God's so gracious that he offers us a doorway of repentance. And we can step through that doorway and embrace anew his preferred way of living for our lives, which Amos says is to live a life of love and allegiance and a life of justice and righteousness. Those three takeaways alone make this message that comes from the 8th century B.C. as timely and relevant for us today as it was for Judah and for Israel in the 8th century B.C. 
So let's look at each of these takeaways just in a little bit of more detail here. It's possible for God's people to forget to do what's right in the eyes of the Lord. As I read the book of Amos, one of the things I was struck by was how easy it is for us as humans, for Israel as a nation, to forget all that God has done for them and for us and who he is for us. In chapter 2, God reminds his people, it was I who rescued you from Egypt. It was I who led you through the desert for 40 years so you could possess the land of the Amorites. I chose some of your sons to be prophets and others to be Nazarites. Can you deny this, my people of Israel, asked the Lord. God had set Israel free from a life of oppression and slavery that had lasted for over 400 years. And he guides them every step of the way in the wilderness. And he generously provides for them. And he protects them. And he brings them into a new way of living. Into the promised land. Yet God declares in Amos chapter 3 verse 10. They do not know how to do right. After all God had done for them. After all he had been for them, they forgot about him. They ignored him and they outright rejected him. And they outright rejected the call and responsibility that comes with being called the people of God, whether it was the nation of Israel or we as followers of Christ today. And that is to live a life marked by love and by allegiance, a life marked by justice and righteousness. In Amos chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, the prophet declares, they, Israel, sell honorable people for silver and poor people for a pair of sandals. They trample helpless people in the dust and shove the oppressed out of the way. Both father and son sleep with the same woman, corrupting my holy name. At the religious festivals, they lounge in clothing their debtors put up as security. In the house of their gods, they drink wine bought with unjust fines. According to this word from God, in the 8th century B.C., through the prophet of Amos, it is possible for the people of God to forget to do what is right. And this can still happen amongst us today. We can get so busy, we can get so consumed with the values and cares of this world that as Micah, another of the minor prophets, says, we forget what it means to live justly and to love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. The message of God through the prophet Amos is as timely and relevant today as it was for Israel then. God is speaking. Are we listening? The second takeaway for me from the book of Amos was that it's possible for God's people to settle for religion rather than embracing relationship. Christianity at its best is about a relationship, not about religion. It's about a living, life-giving relationship with God. It's not about making up and managing and focusing on rules just so you can be accepted or feel approved of or obtain positions of power and prestige. Religion is more concerned with looking good than doing good. And it focuses more on managing rules than tending relationships. And this is just what many in Israel were doing at that time. They were going to the temple, for instance, to worship and were bringing gifts to God. And they were keeping all the religious uh, festivals all the while splitting their allegiances 
and worshiping idols. While many of them had much, they were not caring for the poor, for the oppressed, for the widows and widowers. And they were not standing for justice in the face of injustice. In fact, they were the very perpetrators of a system of unjust taxation. And they were even selling fellow Israelites into slavery. This same propensity of settling for religion rather than embracing relationship was still going on at the time of Jesus. And so he has to say this uh, to the leaders, to the Pharisees. He says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. For you're careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law. Justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Religion can take spiritual sounding language. Religion can take even scripture itself, take it out of context, twist it in order to justify and, and, and to rationalize toxic belief and behavior. But when it does that, when we do that, it stinks to high heaven. That's the message of God through the prophet Amos in the 8th century B.C. is as timely and relevant for you and I today as it was for Israel then. Friends, God's speaking. Are we listening? The third takeaway, thank goodness, from the book of Amos for me was this. When we forget, ignore, and reject God's will and God's ways, he's so gracious, he's so full of grace community of grace, that he offers us a doorway called repentance, and we can step through that doorway. We can step back into and embrace anew his preferred way of living for our lives. Repentance is a good word. Repentance is a grace word. It's a word that calls us to turn from a direction that's leading to death and turn to a direction that's leading to life. It was a word that was of the first order importance for Jesus. He preached on it during his first sermon. Mark chapter 1, verse 15, Jesus says, The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. And we see this call to repentance in the book of Amos. In chapter 5, verse 4, Thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live. Imagine, just imagine, what if Israel had listened because God was speaking? What if they had embraced his call to repent? What if they had stepped through the doorway of repentance and embraced again his preferred way of living for their lives? How might things have gone? Unfortunately, repentance has gotten kind of bad rap in our day and age. It has kind of a negative connotation to it, a negative feeling, a heavy feeling to it because it's more, uh, 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 most of the time it's characterized and with the stereotype of the angry uh, fire and brimstone preacher who's telling us how bad we are and how terrible we are and is preaching law, 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 but no grace. But the call to repentance is actually a loving invitation. It's not so much a lecture as an invitation. Come, step through this doorway and step back into my preferred way of living for your life, my way that's a better way. I remember a very good friend of mine. He actually lives here in the city. He's had dinner with him just last night. And I remember years ago, uh, him asking me, why in the world should we even read the Old Testament? 
I mean, we're New Testament Christians. Why should we read the Old Testament? And why, especially, why should we read those 12 kind of obscure little books, uh, those minor prophet books at the end of the Old Testament? Some of them I can't even pronounce the name of. Why, why should we read those? And if I'd known then what I know now, probably what I might say, have said to him is something like I've been sharing with you today. I might have said something like, well, you know, those messages may have been spoken a long time ago, uh, even as far back as the 8th century BC, but they have messages that are as timely and relevant for us today as they were then. I might have said something to him like, take the book of Amos, for example. The, the message of God through the prophet Amos is important because it reminds us that it is possible for you and I, my friend, to forget to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. We see this every day, beloved. If you turn on your TV and you, and, and you watch your favorite fla flavor of newscast, and I don't care which one it is, CNN, MSNBC, Fox News. We see story after story after story of people and unfortunately leaders forgetting to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord. I might have told my friend it's possible. We need, we need to hear this message. We need to read the book of Amos and, and even the book of Obadiah. We need to read these books because it's possible for you and I as Christians to settle for religion which is a poor substitute for relationship with the living God. And, and we need to read these books and we need to listen to these messages because there's still a doorway called repentance that God is inviting us to step through and to enter in again and to embrace anew his preferred way of living for our lives. Now, in closing this morning, I want to take us back to chapter 1, the first two verses of Amos. Listen to what's said. This message was given to Amos, a shepherd from the town of Tekoa in Judah. He received this message in visions two years before the earthquake when Uzziah was king of Judah and Jeroboam II, the son of Joash, was king of Israel. This is what he saw and heard. The Lord's voice will roar from Zion and thunder from Jerusalem. From these opening verses the last couple of weeks, I found myself asking this question. Maybe it's a question you don't want to ask yourself. I'm wondering these days, what is it in my life that is making the voice of the Lord roar today? What am I thinking? What am I doing when nobody can see? What are my motives? What is it in me that's making the voice of the Lord roar. And even as it roars, am I listening? What is it that he's trying to speak to me about? What is, is it he's trying to speak to you about? Trying to call our attention to? Is he trying to get our attention about our life of love or the lack thereof? Love for him and for our neighbors as ourselves. Love for orphans and widows and widowers. Love for the unborn. And the older I get, I think this is a very good group to be loving. The elderly. The unborn and the elderly. The love for the disenfranchised and for the marginalized. Is he trying to get our attention? Does he want to recharge our ability to be loved by him and to love others? Is he trying to wake us up and shake us loose from anyone or anything that, that is an idol in our lives? 
And we can make anything an idol. If you don't think, think so, uh, in my life, just think back to the 1970s, 80s, and 90s, a young boy, young man growing up in the state of Nebraska, an avid Nebraska Cornhusker football fan, back when Nebraska actually won games, <laughs> won a couple of national championships. When we would come to church on the rare Sunday after Nebraska lost a game, you would have thought a family member had died. I'm serious. There was such a depression in the congregation on one of those rare instances. I was the most depressed of all. And I began to realize, in all seriousness, I've made this sport, this fun thing, an idol in my life. Is he trying to get your attention? Is he trying to get my attention about anything in our lives that might actually be an idol that's, that's vying for time, vying for allegiance with the Lord himself? Is he inviting us to repent from living lives that are unrighteous or immoral? Is he calling us to take a stand in some way, shape, or form against injustice? Might be local. Might be something statewide. Might be something that involves our entire nation. I'm of the firm conviction that the people leading the way and fighting injustice, in whatever form that injustice takes, should be we, the people of God. Whether we agree with the particular philosophical stance or bent of the people group who's being treated unjustly and unfairly, we should stand for justice. And we should call for justice. And we should stand alongside those who are being treated unfairly and in an unjust way. God was speaking. He was speaking all the way back then in the 8th century B.C., and he's still speaking today. The question is, are we listening? Perhaps one of the ways that we can respond to that at, at times is by, by participating in a particular aspect of our Lutheran liturgy. We participated in it at the first service this morning. It's called the Order for Confession and Forgiveness. I love this part of our liturgy, this part of our Lutheran heritage. Pastor Angie led us so well in this this morning, and, and she began by leading us in, in declaring, <coughs> excuse me, from Scripture and in our liturgy. If we say we have no sin, hey, everybody, we're deceiving ourselves. You know, usually this is where the speaker says, well, I don't know about you, but I, well, I do know about you. <laughs> You're a sinful bunch of little people. <laughs> oh, now, don't look at Dan, everybody. <laughs> I know about you, because we're humans. This side of heaven, without Christ, <laughs> this is who we are. But Pastor Angie went on to lead us in declaring, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And underline that word, all, the, the smallest words in Scripture are often the most important. All in righteousness. Then she led us in pausing for a short time of silence and to, and to reflect. And, and hey, everybody, the, uh, a liturgy, whatever form it takes, a traditional liturgy, contemporary liturgy, can easily become rote, but it doesn't have to be. And there may be times if we don't want it to be rote that when we have that moment of silence, we may actually hear God saying, hey, Mike, I need you to repent of this attitude you've had. 
this attitude, this thought pattern you've been having, this behavior you've been living out when nobody else can see. And then after a time of silence, Angie led us in this wonderful prayer, and I just love this prayer. Most merciful God, we confess that without Christ, we are in bondage to sin and cannot free ourselves. We've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we've done and by what we have left undone. We've not loved you with our whole heart. We've not loved our neighbors as ourselves for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ. Have mercy on us. Forgive us. Renew us. And lead us so that we can delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. And the good news is that when we take time to stop, whether it's part of the liturgy and on a Sunday morning or it's at home during the week, as Dan instructed us as in some of his opening comments, when we take time to be quiet, when we allow God to speak to us, and he, he can speak to us in a variety of ways. Today he's speaking to us through the book of Amos. And when he tries to put his finger on something, if we will humble ourselves and confess whatever it is he's calling us to, give voice to and turn to him, he will forgive us and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The book of Amos is just this obscure little book at the end of the Old Testament. In what seems to be an insignificant, obscure little book, perhaps God is still speaking to you and still speaking to me today. One thing we can always be sure of, though, is this. God's always speaking Beloved, are we always listening? Amen.